Well, a while back, I read the story in a newspaper of a 16-year-old girl who had broken curfew. Now, why would that merit a newspaper article, right? Um, But this is why uh, there was a newspaper article about it. It's not that she broke curfew. It's how her parents handled it. After she broke curfew, they took out an ad in the local newspaper. They put their daughter's picture. Her name was Kristen. They put her picture in the paper, and then underneath, they wrote as if they were writing from the daughter's perspective. And, and Kristen confessed in this newspaper article that she had been late for curfew. And to make amends, she was offering free babysitting, 30 hours worth of free babysitting. Now, I'm not sure if that's the best approach to discipline, but I'm pretty confident that Kristen was eager to be on time for curfew after that. Now, when you think about Kristen's story, it reminds us of something that's true in all of us. We like to run the show. We like to do things our own way. Is it good for us to live as if we're the ones who have control of life? Well, we're going to think about this question together as we continue our journey through the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. I you to take a pew Bible there in front of you. You can turn to page 1073 and, and follow along with us. Now, earlier in James chapter 4, James has warned about the, the danger of being a friend of the world, uh, of wanting to, to walk in the ways of the world. He says, when you do that, you become an enemy of God. And now in verses 13 and following, James is going to kind of zoom in and he's going to look at one of the ways we're tempted to follow the ways of the world. Let's look at James 4 beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast In your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. In this passage, James causes us to ponder who is in control of our lives. Let's take a look at verses 13 and 14 more closely as as we think about this together. James suggests that there were people in the churches who were speaking about the future with complete certainty. These folks were saying, hey, we're going to go to this city. We'll spend X amount of time there, and we're going to make this profit. We're, we're, going to, we're going to make this money. They're very certain. And James says, this is presumptuous. They're bragging about what's going to happen, speaking as if they had complete control of the future. Now, a businessman may be at the top of his game, making all kinds of money. But James says that even that businessman can't say what tomorrow will hold or if he'll even be alive tomorrow. James says that life is like a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. So James highlights the brevity and the uncertainty of life. Our lives are short and the gift of life is not a guarantee. So these folks were were planning their trip. They were going to leave today, maybe tomorrow. But James says they may not even wake up tomorrow. Life is a vapor, a puff of smoke gone in an instant. That's what James says. Now, James here isn't condemning making money. There's 
there's nothing wrong with the desire to, to make a profit, but these people were living their lives apart from God. They had separated their business life from their faith. They were living as if God wasn't even in the picture. Yet James wants us to understand that faith is all-encompassing, and it should affect our whole lives. But these folks hadn't even given their faith a second thought. They had made their plans, and they were going to carry them out. So what do verses 13 and 14 teach us about control of our lives? Well, first, recognize you're not God. Recognize you're not God. We must recognize our own limitations, our human frailty, the uncertainties of our lives. Now, as a parent, my kids are always making me laugh. I know those of you who are parents understand what I'm saying. They're always saying something that's funny. They're always doing something that's funny. Lately, one of the, the ways they've been making me laugh is they've been offering free driving advice to me and my wife. Um, <laughs> And with the years of experience my five and seven-year-olds have behind the wheel, you can imagine we've benefited immensely from, from their instruction. But actually, when they give me this driving advice, and especially when they give it to their mother, I love it. it it's fun because, because it makes me laugh. Now, when they're doing it, they're not joking at all. They're serious. They're really telling us how to drive. Now, sometimes, friends, we're like that with God. We think we know more than we do. We, we think that, that we've got everything under control, but what we have to recognize is that God has all knowledge and that the future is in his hands. Like my kids telling me how to drive so often, we announce what the future is going to be and how things are going to work, but this is foolishness, James says. We aren't God. Let us not think and behave as if we are. So let's think about how this applies in our lives. First, when you are planning for the future, acknowledge your dependence upon God. When you're planning for the future, acknowledge your dependence upon God. Your plans are tentative at best. It's wrong. It, it, it isn't that it's wrong to plan for the future. It's wrong to make plans without our faith in view, without acknowledging our dependence upon God and recognizing that he may have a completely different plan in mind. So we plan, but we plan with humility and awareness of our own smallness and our utter dependence upon God. Next, ponder the brevity and the frailty of life. Ponder the brevity and frailty of life. Realize that if a person here on earth lives to be a very old age, when compared to eternity, that's still just a, it's still just a vapor. It's still so incredibly short. What's James saying? James is saying that our lives have an expiration date. So don't live as if your life doesn't. Don't live as if you're never going to die. No, instead, allow the decisions that you make to be shaped by the fact that one day you won't be here any longer. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we treat others. You see, the shortness and the frailty of human life ought to affect the way we treat other people ought to affect the way we handle our anger, ought to affect the way we handle that tendency to grow bitter. It ought to shape all of our life. So, so we, we recognize, you know what? Life's gonna be over just like that. Maybe I don't wanna keep 
holding on to that grudge. Maybe I don't want to keep pouring my life into things that aren't ultimately going to matter. James wants us to see that life is gone in an instant. So as we've thought about who should be in control of our lives, we've seen that every one of us must recognize that we are not God. Let's look in verse 15 as we continue to think about who runs our lives. Instead of bragging about what they will do and the profit that they will make, these believers, James says, ought to say, we'll do these things if it's the Lord's will. In other words, they should recognize that God holds the future. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. Our lives, they're in his hands. Now, at this point, it's helpful for us to think for a moment together about God's will. It might be said that there are two ways to understand the will of God. First, what might be called God's revealed will. God's revealed will. This is what God has given us in Scripture. When we, when we open the Bible, we have God's revealed will to us. We, he, he tells us how to live. He tells us how to know Him. He tells us about events that have happened in the past, and He even gives us some indication of what will happen in the future. For example, we, we know that one day Christ will return because God has revealed this in His Word. So we call this God's revealed will. But there's also God's hidden will, or what might be called God's will of decree. And what this this is, this is God's will that he has ordained to occur, and it will come to pass. It cannot be thwarted. He doesn't expect us to somehow secretly discover his hidden will. He expects us to follow his revealed will, and then he'll work out his secret will in our lives. He'll work out what he intends to accomplish in our lives. We're responsible to follow his revealed will, not to try to figure out his secret will. But what we see about God's secret will or his will of decree is that it will occur, even in the midst of human sin. So so when, when we sin, when we mess up, it doesn't thwart God's will of decree. It will happen. He brings it about, even in the midst of human sinfulness. If you want to see more on that, look at Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, or Ephesians 1, verse 11. You'll see a a bit more about God's will of decree. So these business people were boasting and bragging, acting as if they had control of God's hidden will, acting as if they had control of God's will of decree. They were claiming an authority that only God had. Instead, of boasting about all they were going to accomplish and all the money they were going to make, they should have admitted their plans were tentative, recognizing the authority of God in their lives. Thus, God's commands, his revealed will, as we see in his word, gives us a framework for how to live. As I make plans in business or plans in any other area, I'm mindful of the fact that I must be concerned about what God's word has to say about how his word speaks to the situation. I must be responsible for his revealed will. And I'll leave his his will of decree to him. That's, That's his issue. He is going to accomplish his purposes, but I'm responsible to follow what he has given in his word. Now, sometimes folks will say, that what you've got to do is if you talk about the future, you just mechanically add the words, well, if it's God's will, if it's God's will, if it's God's will. But that's not what this passage is saying. 
What it is saying is that when we make plans, that idea must always be on our hearts. That our plans are made in light of, of what his will is. We, we always want to be mindful and purposely submissive to him. So what do these verses tell us about control of our lives? We should embrace the authority of God. We should embrace the authority of God. God has the rightful place of authority in our lives. And we do well to embrace this truth, not to fight against it, not to try to ignore it. Now, I read the story of a fellow who, when boarding a plane, was surprised to find that he was seated next to a parrot strapped in, in the seat next to him. He wasn't sure what to expect, but the flight attendant came by and was taking orders. And he spoke up and said to the flight attendant, hey, I'd love to have a cup of coffee. The parrot rudely said, hey, woman, I need some whiskey. Well, shortly thereafter, the flight attendant brought the whiskey back to the bird. She didn't bring any coffee to the man. A little time passed, and the bird had downed that shot. And so he said to the, to the uh, flight attendant, Hey, lady, I need another whiskey. Make it snappy. And the man spoke up again and said, Hey, and could, could I have a cup of coffee? Well, guess what? The flight attendant came back. No coffee, but a shot of whiskey. And so the man figured, you know, if I'm going to get a cup of coffee, I'm going to have to handle this a little bit differently. So he said, Woman, Bring me some coffee. I've already asked you twice. Well, the next thing you know, it wasn't coffee that came his way. It was two uh, men, flight attendants, and they escorted him and the parrot out of their seats, and they took them, and they chunked them out of the plane. Now, as they were falling to the ground, that parrot said to the man, Mister, I have never seen a fellow so rude who couldn't fly. And then that parrot, he flew away. Now, friends, often we think we can fly. We think we're big stuff. We can do life the way we want to do it. But in reality, we need a dose of humility. This fellow certainly got one. We need to open our eyes and we need to see God's greatness and his majesty and our limitation, and our smallness. We need to recognize that he is the one who has rightful authority. He's the one. So, so how should we think about these, truth, these truths in our lives? Well, first, be thankful that your life is ultimately in God's hands. Be thankful your life is ultimately in his hands. We don't always understand God's ways. We don't understand what he brings into our lives. We don't always understand what he permits in our lives. But what we know, and we know for certain, is that he is sovereign. And his plan will occur. In Matthew 10, 29 through 30, Jesus said it like this. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that God is sovereign. Now, we can't flesh all of that out. We, we don't understand how our free will and God's sovereignty all plays out. That's, that's above us. But we trust that God is at work. And there's peace in knowing that God is sovereign over our lives, that life isn't chaos, that life isn't random, but that God is at work. 
And this means that life isn't out of control even when it feels out of control. Second, don't live as if you're the boss of your own life. Instead of planning out your life without regard for God, plan your life in a manner that purposely acknowledges and honors God. Recognize that your plans are subject to his sovereign rule. So we've seen that we must embrace the authority of God. Let's look in verse 16 as we continue to think about who has control of our lives. James says these believers, they're bragging about their plans and about their prophets. All of this bragging, James says, is just a display of their arrogance, and it's evil, pure and simple. It's self-centered, not God-centered. It's about me, not about glorifying God. This person's walking around saying, hey, look at me, look at my ingenuity, look at my prowess. Look, Look at all I can accomplish. Again, it's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to make profit, but it's wrong to do those things in a way that you're all about yourself and not about him. So what does verse 16 teach us about control of our lives? We should walk in humility, not arrogance. We should walk in humility, not arrogance. It's been said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. You see, we must be careful because our pride can blind us. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. You can begin to think that you're pretty big stuff. We can begin to think, oh, man, look, look at all I've accomplished. Look at, look at all I've done. Look at all that I have. James says that way of thinking is complete and utter foolishness. In fact, he calls it evil. He, he calls it wicked. So let's ask a couple questions as we think about this truth in our lives. Do you brag about what you've done and, and all you're going to accomplish? This kind of talk about how great we are isn't honoring to God. It puts us in the driver's seat. It puts us on display. But friends, our lives, they're meant to put God on display. They're meant to, to honor God. Next Another question, how can you submit your plans to God's will? How can you submit your plans to God's will? Ask yourself if you're honoring God in your plans. Are you seeking to to live according to his word as you make your plans? Are you seeking to acknowledge him? Are you striving to make your life not about yourself, but, but about the Lord? Consider these words of Jesus when Jesus was asked about the greatest command, he answered in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So to purposely submit our plans to God's revealed will is an act of humility. To take our plans and to shape them according to what his word says is an act of humility, an act of submission and obedience. So we've seen we must walk in humility. Now let's look in verse 17 as we continue to think about who controls our lives. James gives this statement about knowing what is right, but not doing it. And he says that if you know what's right, but you do not do what's right, that's sin. And this is a category of sin that we call that we call sins of omission. That is, to know what you should do, but you don't carry it out. Now, we're used to thinking of sins of commission. Those are committing sins that are forbidden, 
We think about that a lot. But here James says, when you don't do what you know is right, that, that's still sin. Now, what does this have to do with who controls our lives? Well, if a believer makes plans without humility, without a regard for God, James says that kind of planning is sinful. It isn't an oversight or a mistake. It is sinful, plain and simple. You see, a Christian is called to obey God and to submit to God. Obedience to God is humility lived out. Obedience to God is humility lived out. You recognize that God is king and that you're a servant and thus you seek to obey him. So what does verse 17 teach us about control of our lives? You should do what is right. Do what is right. When you obey God, you are humbly submitting to his rightful rule. Maybe you heard about the elementary teacher who took two of his former students to a, a daddy-daughter dance. It happened earlier this year. Their father had, had passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And this teacher had previously taught both of these girls in a second grade class. And his two daughters were, were friends with these two girls. So he took his girls and these two little girls who had lost their daddy just weeks before to this daddy-daughter dance. And someone asked him about it and said, why, why did you do that? And he said, well, at the beginning of the year and throughout the year, I always tell my students that I care about them, that they matter to me. And then he said, you can't just say it, you have to live it. You can't just say it, you, you have to live it. And I think that's a great way to explain our faith. We can't just say it, we, we've got to live it. We're called to do what we know is right. We're called to humbly obey God, that is, to live it. Let's think about this in our lives. First, don't excuse your sin and arrogance. Don't excuse your sin and arrogance. Don't try to rationalize or, or justify sin. If you like to brag about how big you are and how great you are, don't dress it up as if it's not sin. It is. When, when I do that, it's sin. When, when I find ways to have conversation and to try to show how big I am and how great I am, that's just sin. We, we don't need to hide from that. We don't need to deny that. We need to own our sin. Because when we own our sin, then we're on the road to, to repenting of our sin. And, and that's the next point. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Cry out to God. Ask him to help you turn away from having an arrogant attitude. Ask him to help you obey him. Ask him to help you live your life recognizing that he is sovereign to turn from that attitude that, that all of us have of wanting to do things our own way, of wanting to run the show. Ask him to help you walk in humility and dependence upon him. Now, friends, we can't make these changes on our own. In our own human strength, we can't do this. But this is the reality. When we call out to God and we say to him, Lord, help me to walk in humility. Lord, help me to honor you in all of life. The spirit that lives within us, the Holy Spirit, he helps us. He helps us to change. He helps us to, to repent. So how does James answer the question, who should be in control of your life? Who should be running your life? And here's his answer. Let God be God in your life. Let God be God in your life. Let him be in control. You take your place as his servant. Quit expecting him to be your servant bow before him. Now make no mistake, he, he loves you. 
He cares about you. That, that's why he sent his son. But we mustn't treat him as our servant. We must recognize that we are his servant. Recently, the social media world was abuzz when Princess Meghan Markle, a member of the British royal family, closed her own door. She was attending a special event and, and the vehicle was parked and her door was opened. She stepped out of the vehicle and then she turned around and she closed her own door. Now, this sent Twitter and other social media platforms into overdrive. People were praising the princess's humility. She closed her own door. Friends, we too, we need to learn some humility. So often we expect God to be our door boy. But friends, he's not. He never will be. No, God is the sovereign, majestic king of the universe. He's great and he is awesome. No, we must submit to him. So let God be God in your life. Recognize that you're not God. Embrace his rule, his authority. Walk in humility. Do what you know is right. Yes, let's let God be God in our lives. And believers, if you know the Lord Jesus, if truth be told, have you been running your own life? Have you been trying to, to be your own God in a sense? Today, won't you leave that burden behind? Instead, won't you let God be God? Won't you cry out to him today? Confess that you've tried to take his place, that you've made your own plans, that you've done it your own way. Today, it's time to stop being our own little gods. It's time to submit to the one true God, to the King of Kings. Won't you cry out to him for help? He will help you change. And oh, the awesome freedom we find when we let God be God in our lives. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, would you today? You see, God is perfectly holy and he can't overlook the sinfulness of our hearts. But in God's great love, he sent his own son to come and to die on a cross. You see, Jesus took the punishment that, that our sins deserve upon himself. So he took the, the wrath that God has toward our sin, the rightful wrath that he has toward our rebellion and sinfulness, and he put it on his own son. What a beautiful, what a beautiful love. What a passionate love. Jesus died on that cross. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. No, he came back to life and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And for this reason, friend, you can be saved. You can come to know God and you can have eternal life, but you must turn to Jesus. You must ask him to for, forgive you. To, if you want to know God, if you want God to be God in your life, this is the starting place. Say to God, I'm tired of going my own way. I want to turn away from going my own way. I believe, I believe in you, Jesus, that you came to this earth, died on the cross, that you were buried and that you came back to life. And God, I'm putting my faith in you. And that's the starting point for letting God be God in your life. If you've never turned to Christ this morning, you could do that in just a moment. We'll stand and sing. And when we do, if you have questions about how you can know Jesus, I would invite you to come. I'll be here. Ralph Huerta will be here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. For those of you who are believers, I would urge you,
as we sing together to take this time to ask the Lord to search your heart. Have you been running the show in your life? Let the Lord speak to you about that as as we sing together. Join me in prayer.